0: Consistently, when I bring some of our competitors, let's say a 100 milligram bag into a group of people for a sesh, and I say, hey, does anyone want to try this product? They say, what's the dosage? And I say, oh, the bag's 100. And they say, how much of the bag have you already eaten? And I'm like, I had a little bit. And then they go, so then how much am I supposed to have? And then you flip it over and you go, okay. It says 13 pieces, and you get that confusing conversation internally, and maybe you've already had a joint, you don't know exactly where you're supposed to dose to. And so for a customer and for a consumer who's looking for a really consistent experience, you need to be able to deliver that dosage consistency. And I think that's the thing that has really differentiated us against other products and where we continue to push towards. And is why we actually have such a range of SKUs is because we also have three different effects and three different dosage profiles for each of our different products, so that we're able to come to market with those individually.
1: You're listening to To Be Blunt the podcast for cannabis marketers where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing educating and professionalizing cannabis light one up and listen up here's your host Shada Taravi. hello and welcome back to the to be blunt podcast I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And today, May 29th, is Sine DA Day in Texas, also known as Sine Die Day, which refers to the last day of the legislative session. It's actually a Latin word that means with no appointed date for resumption, but Texas actually meets biannually. So we'll have our next session in 2025. June 18th is the last day the Texas governor can sign or veto bills. And August 27th is the earliest day most bills can go into effect if they didn't pass with more than two-thirds of votes. By the way, while preparing this, I learned that actually the majority of states, so 46, meet annually for their legislative schedule. And it's only Texas, Montana, Nevada, and North Dakota that meet in odd years only. With that said, it's been a bittersweet Texas legislative session. There were multiple cannabis-related bills pertaining to hemp agriculture and cannabinoids, like Delta-8-THC. There were decriminalization bills, repeal bill on smokable hemp, and of course, our medical marijuana program, Teacup, was hoping for some updates to their program. Specifically, they wanted to increase the conditions adding chronic pain which would broaden their patient accessibility. And unfortunately, none of them made any progress. But that's both good and bad. For example, on the hemp side, we really didn't want the Delta 8 Senate Bill 264 to get passed as is because that would have major implications beyond just Delta 8 because the language that was used was broad and generic and referred to synthetic cannabinoids, which inadvertently could impact non-psychoactive cannabinoids like CBN and tear down the whole hemp market in Texas. The organization I'm a part of and also the president of, the Texas Hemp Coalition, was very active in helping to work with the author of that bill to redefine and clarify what synthetic really means and is. And unfortunately, we didn't have success in getting that language adopted. So in this case, we were glad that the bill didn't go through as is. However, there were certainly other bills that impact the industry. So we were sad to see House Bill 2818, which also didn't pass, and that would have enabled our hemp cultivators with better timing on testing their crops and plant transport, which are two strain points right now for cultivators in the hemp industry. We also introduced House Bill 4918, which would have repealed the ban on manufacturing smokable hemp products in Texas. But that didn't make it. So the ban on manufacturing and processing smokables has been still in place. And then on the teacup side, the House bill was 1805, which would have expanded conditions to include chronic pain, as well as making improvements to the program itself. And that was honestly worked into the final hour. I know their team, their lobbyists, the current teacup license holders were promoting to their constituents to get in contact with the lieutenant governor. But again, unfortunately, that too did not pass the finish line this session. So there's a couple of things that this means to me. And that is that one, we have another two years before we can introduce new legislation for cannabis. And we also have to see what happens in regulation. So basically, once legislation is over, regulation then takes into effect. So the Department of State Health Services or dishes is who regulates hemp. And the Department of Public Safety or DPS is who regulates the teacup medical marijuana program. So there's a lot of other things that are going on as well. Also, Texas just wrapped up opening licensing for their teacup program that was going on during the last couple of months of session. And they have not indicated how many licenses they're even awarding. So I'm looking forward to seeing how many licenses they award, who they award licenses to. And is it going to be to Texas-based businesses and operators, or is it going to go to multi-state operators? I really think that those will be big indications for how we can expect the cannabis legislation to unfold here in Texas. And really pave the way for when we can expect to see adult use recreation. And then in the HEP side, we still have a case in the Supreme Court, which is against Delta 8. And the murmur was that this was on pause until session ended because maybe they were going to deal with it in legislation. But because that legislation didn't make any movement this session, my anticipation is that lawsuit is going to get picked back up sooner than later. So there could still be some impact to the hemp-derived THC market in Texas coming up. So as always, you got to hold on to your horses and brace for impact. There were some other updates too that came from the federal level in the last month or so. And specifically something that came from the DEA earlier this month in May, but it was just making circulation last week. The DEA announced at its annual supply chain conference that they will be releasing new rules to reschedule certain hemp-derived cannabinoids. Terence Booz, who is the chief of the DEA's Drug and Chemical Evaluation section, addressed Delta-8 and other synthetic cannabinoids in his presentation, stating that converting CBD to Delta-8-THC is unlawful, and that synthetic tetrahydrocannabinols were not exempted from the Controlled Substances Act. Now, I've been having a lot of conversations, certainly with my peers, since this information got shared, and There are some arguments that because hemp isn't a controlled substance, as long as it's less than 0.3% Delta 9 THC, the DEA can't overstep their boundaries. However, then again, it is the federal government and they can do whatever they want. And so I just see updates like this impacting a whole lot more than just Delta 8. And it's something that we should be cautious and prepared to address in the future. Specifically, there's been a lot of buzz with hemp-derived cannabinoids. They're, of course, referring to it broadly across the United States as synthetic. My preference is to use the word synthesized. And there's clearly a massive market for specifically hemp-derived Delta 9, which has been hitting the market hot and heavy with the mass adoption of cannabis beverages. If you've been tuning into my content, you've heard me talk about this time and time again, especially featuring some previous guests where we were talking about the state of Minnesota, we obviously know that there's a lot of buzz around these hemp-derived cannabinoids, specifically with beverages, and we've talked about it, and I'm, just, I'm seeing a lot of it. So again, this conversation is impacting so many aspects of the industry, and there's a lot of movement that's happening that we need to pay attention to. So for example, some other states taking some action, this is coming from Connecticut, whose House passed a bill to crack down on THC-infused hemp products, to Colorado's Intoxicating Cannabinoid Hemp and Marijuana Bill, which is awaiting the governor's signature, Colorado Senate Bill 2371, if signed by the governor, establishes a comprehensive framework for the sale of hemp-derived products. And the new law would separate cannabinoids into three defined categories, non-intoxicating, potentially intoxicating, and intoxicating, Now, as an aside, what the hell is potentially intoxicating? I don't know what is like halfway there between intoxicating and intoxicating, but obviously I think we would all agree we want some clarity on that. And I think it's also really important to point out that a lot of the language sounds like it's very similar touching, but obviously the regulation or the way that these states are dealing with it is varying state to state. And so for me as a Texan, that's what I'm really paying attention to is looking at how these other states are handling it What's the makeup of their program? Are they hemp only states? Are they regulated adult use cannabis states that also have hemp programs? And ultimately, we're all looking towards the federal government if they're going to give any guidance, like with this recent DEA update. So, my stance is yes, we want better regulation, but we don't want you to eliminate it from the marketplace. Just let us impose better testing, better quality assurance, and instead of just taking it out of the marketplace. So, The next thing to bring up, continuing on this state-by-state kind of update, Washington state is requiring all THC products, both regulated adult-use cannabis and hemp, to be regulated as cannabis products. Washington's Senate Bill 5367 was signed by their governor on May 9th and goes into effect July 23rd of this year, and it requires all products except topicals with any amount of THC to be regulated as cannabis products. And then New Arkansas Hemp has a law that prohibits THC isomers and synthetic forms of THC. Their hemp legislation, SB 358, which is now known as Act 629, has a stated purpose to, quote, prohibit the production and sale of intoxicating substances derived from hemp, end quote. So by prohibiting Delta 8, as well as other THC isomers, And Synthetic's equivalents of THC, it's obviously, again, like semantics. We're getting into language. We're getting into these different state-by-state laws. I want to really look at these different programs. And so, yes, my brain is spinning. I'm sure yours is, too. It can definitely be a lot to keep track of. My goal is to provide you these talking points, these news headlines so that you can further explore. And for reference, I pulled most of this state-by-state information from a recent Vicente newsletter. So thank you for Vicente for championing some of these movements, as well as aggregating that information and sharing it out. And so in that vein, I do get asked a lot how I stay on top of all the moving pieces, and it's really a combination of building a good funnel system. So newsletters like the Vicente one also really recommend being active on LinkedIn, following a lot of different brands on social media from all over the United States, or if you really just care about your state, finding and following all the different movers and shakers in your state. And then obviously you want to try to digest all of that in some form or fashion on an ongoing basis. And then for me also, in addition to that, I'm really fortunate because this podcast provides a really great platform for me to have these conversations weekly with my podcast guests and benefit is you guys get to hear those conversations. So I really appreciate you tuning in and I hope that it's been helpful to paint an ongoing picture. So again, I'm trying to understand it. I obviously try to pass on as much as I can to you guys because it can be a lot and I just wanna remain compliant ultimately as an operator in this industry and that's always my hope is to pass that information on so that you can make the best decisions for you, your business, your brand. And I really believe that you want to stay on top of these changes so that you can figure out a strategy to fight back because that's imperative to understanding these Nuances, these pieces of legislation, the regulation, et cetera. So, again, a lot of information. I appreciate you hanging with me. And with all of that said, I really do hope that you're connecting with me on Substack. Thank you to everyone who's already subscribed, both to my free subscribers and to those of you who have elected to monetarily support my work and access paid specific content. But you can access all the podcast episodes there. I'm also writing articles weekly, and I'll be sharing other news and tidbits over at. To bluntpod.com. Again, it's free to subscribe so that you can stay in the loop too. And so with all of that said, now we're going to enter into the fun part that you've all been waiting for. Today's guest, he is joining me from the great state of California and their amazingly complicated and complex cannabis market. He's also a former Texan. And so I'm joined today by Robert Holland. He is the founder and CEO of Tempo. Now, this is a really cool conversation because Robert is a snack strategist. He is an entrepreneur and finance professional. And Robert launched Tempo based on one simple question. Why can't edibles be savory instead of sweet? Growing up in Texas, Robert was from what he refers to as the snack belt of Texas, which is the headquarters of Frito-Lay. And he spent his early life enthralled by the intense flavor profiles and out-of-the-world texture of modern snacks. And so he wanted to bring that same joy to his edible experience when he wanted to launch his brand in California. So Robert has a background in consumer products, supply chain, and analytics from some of the biggest brands you'll find in retail and grocery across the United States, which is what led him on a journey to disrupt the edibles market with savory snacks. He was looking to make an impact in an industry he cared deeply for. And so Robert moved to the West Coast in 2019, and in 2020, Tempo was born. Tempo offers affordable and delicious savory edibles in eight flavors with three effects profiles based off a combination of CBD and THC with precision-dosed crackers. This is a really insightful conversation and informative because of Robert's background coming from traditional snack and CPG and understanding the virality, the fanaticism that these big savory snack brands would employ to launch new products and to captivate the consumer's minds, hearts, wallets, and ultimately their stomachs. And so he shares really candidly about that journey, building Tempo, what was his inspiration, how he looks at different markets, specifically the snack market and applying that to how he's rolled out his product in California. We also get into marketing, direct to consumer, using these different platforms and of course, what he's learned from all this experience in these other industries and how he's applying it back into Tempo. So we dive into the growing numbers of market share that Edibles is taking over and how Tempo has helped truly pave the way for savory. I can't wait for you to learn from Robert. So please, without further ado, join me by lighting one up and let's welcome Robert to the show.
0: My name is Robert Holland. I'm a snack strategist, entrepreneur, and uh, I I'm currently working and have founded Tempo Crackers, which is the very first savory snack brand in cannabis. And we are the very first savory snack brand to be Precision Dose, all the way down to individual cracker, which we'll definitely dig into and I'm super excited by. In terms of my background, I initially graduated from Columbia University with a degree in economics with really a passion for CPG products and product marketing and really product sell through. So I initially jumped into the consulting industry, actually, working for some of the larger CPG brands, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, running through them and all their different sort of product strategies and understanding which products are doing well, what's doing effectively in terms of their different marketing and promotional campaigns. Ultimately, if you've ever lived in that world, you know a lot of that has become so corporate that you don't really get to see the impact of the different work you're doing. And so I was looking for an opportunity to move into an industry that was really near and dear to my heart. I was living in New York City at the time. I had a very close friend who was doing a lot of advocacy work for cannabis legalization. Shout out to on Instagram. And I was really just amazed by the industry, the passion that people had for it. And more importantly, you know how it was going to impact the national scope. And I was looking at different companies nationally who were initially going after that and really delivering an impact in the industry so i moved to california in april 2019 I actually landed on 420 very exciting and was able to take some of that initial skill set and really bring it to an industry i was really excited about and a product that i finally actually cared about selling which was super exciting and that initial approach i joined the cannabis industry in 2019 and was looking around Uh, I was very confused to see that there was really no savory products around me. There's no snacks, no edibles that delivered a non-sugar option and was really confused by that one, because I'm not a big cheese person, not a dessert heavy person, not going to reach for the chocolate bar over the bowl of pasta at the end of the night. And so I really wasn't having the product speak to me in terms of what I was looking for. And My personal background, I actually grew up in Plano, Texas, which is the, as I like to call it, snack capital of the world, headquarters of Frito-Lay. And I grew up like with snacks as just like a large part of my life on both a daily, weekly, monthly basis and was confused why we weren't able to actually execute snacks. And I asked everyone in the industry and pretty much everyone told me it's not possible. And if a gay man hears anything, it's when we hear that challenge, I'm more than ready to go run after it. And so I definitely had the audacity to go try that out. And in June, 2020, peak COVID, we launched our first Mac product. So it's been an amazing journey, I think going from that hyper corporate background to now really working in a startup industry and self-fledging industry today, to deliver and bring those initial infrastructure pieces and launch a new product in a new market.
1: Super fascinating story. Also love that you're from Texas because yes, Texas can have great cannabis brands come out of it. Obviously you're operating in California now, but honing in on that, I love just learning a little bit about your journey from growing up in Texas, specifically the snack capital with Frito-Lay, obviously influencing. I will have to agree. I'm very much a dessert person, but I like snacks. And so I see where you observed, especially with your background coming from other CPG brands, like a why not? And so I would love to start understanding one, you're entering into the California cannabis market at a time where obviously I think a lot of people are have already built their brand. So they're already brand recognized. I think there's a little bit of this attitude, especially as like new states turn on, you know, oh, you missed the boat. It's too late. Where they're, How do you get a license? Like how do you enter a market that's already existing? But then I think California also being a prime example of the crash, the high and the low where a lot of those early brands maybe didn't survive. And so just what was the sentiment around entering a market like California out of all the markets to launch a brand? I think that's very... Ambitious, like you said, to to go and launch something savory where the traditional edible model has been gummy, chocolate coated in sugar. I mean, just from being on the podcast, talking to other brands, running my own brand, I understand what kind of goes into the manufacturing process of things, but maybe just let's start the, Robert has an idea. He's in California. You said you were there in April and then it was in June, the following year that you launched your brand. So what happened between April and June for you to go from idea? And then also before we were recording, you said that the brand has gone through some pivots. So kind of what was that original tempo? snack was it always called tempo what was your idea that you were trying to pitch to people was it a certain size was it a certain shape was a certain milligram certain flavor profile and how have you evolved so maybe what was that first inception of it and getting it into the market and then maybe going through a little bit of like how it's transitioned into presently what you're seeing in the packaged goods space and then sold on shelves today in dispensaries
0: Yeah, I mean, those are all great questions. And I think it is and has been a really interesting history and pivot for us as we continue to respond to market feedback and continue to grow the brand organically. I think you're right. A lot of people look at the California cannabis market and other markets that are launching today and are like, I missed the boat, right? There's already been so much money spent. There's already so many large players in the market. I'm sure you've experienced this over the period of launching this podcast and speaking to so many different industry individuals, in reality, a lot of the existing brands that are working today are not yet profitable, are still struggling to get that consumer market fit. And while they are VC backed and have a lot of capital that can allow them to walk around the room like the big guy, they're actually not defensible, right? And so I think coming in as a market entrant, as someone who has a finance background and is interested in taking a really slow market specific approach, That allows us to really respond aggressively to feedback and constantly be both pivoting our snack design and pivoting our flavor profile to respond to what's doing best has allowed us to grow in a sustainable and slow way. Um, And so long term for me, what the opportunity was when I was looking throughout the market and I come from an analytics snack background and also really wanted to take a data focused approach. You know, what was really interesting and was the original thesis of Tempo is that if you look at the overall food consumption market, snack food is one of the largest global consumer markets and is more than two times the size of the global candy market. So if you think about larger just food consumption, customers, particularly those who are going into grocery stores today, are not buying candy one because it's not a product that really speaks to them and as we look at overall consumer food trends people are looking for a more health conscious option they're looking for ways to integrate wellness into their everyday food so you'll see this in trends like adaptogenic soda or different functional foods that are moving in that direction and consumers are moving and migrating that way right cannabis is really lagging in terms of that experience and so we went out with that ethos of Hey, how can we capture a new type of consumer responding to this longer term trend that we know will hit cannabis eventually, but maybe isn't hitting today? And I think interesting on top of that is that maybe five, six years ago, gummies weren't the market dominator that they are today. So there's this understanding or belief, because if you work in cannabis every month is a year that, hey, gummies have dominated the market for three years. They will dominate forever but they weren't dominating six years ago, right? Chocolates and cookies were definitely a larger section of the market and gummies definitely came in and had a great opportunity to explode throughout the market in terms of sugar-based products. But if we look at like the long-term expectation, the goal and the expectation is that there's gonna be a lot larger group of more health focused wellness alternatives that customers will be able to select and choose from. And so I wanted to plant that seed and work to continue to water it over the years and respond to the market so that we were able to build and develop a product with the expectation that, you know, as the market continued to mature, we'd see more entrants come in the snack category who would help us rise together. So it's been really exciting. And I think some of the additional products which have already launched in the snack category today, reinforce that belief. But I think one of the most challenging aspects of our initial snack creation, and you asked about what was that initial pitch? What was the initial product? So we've always been tempo, which is very exciting. We launched in peak COVID June 2020 with a real question on, okay, yeah, how do we respond to these market trends? But also how do we speak to a new type of customer who is maybe looking for a more functional high and is looking for a low sugar alternative? Um, particularly how do we bring new entrants and new canicurias customers into the market? So the original product we launched in June 2020 was actually a two milligram PETA chip. It was a one inch round or two inch round made with an olive oil base. And each cracker was two milligrams total. There were 10 crackers per pack. So it was a 20 cracker package and we sold it on shelves for $7. And so our initial thought process was essentially, hey, this is going to be the cheapest edible in the market, the cheapest option for customers. It's also going to serve a low dose micro dose customer on an ongoing basis. And if you look at the dollars per milligram, it's pretty efficient, right? In terms of the value that we'd be delivering to customers. Unfortunately, and also fortunately, (laughs) we respond to market feedback really quickly. And I think a lot of the feedback we got back in terms of our initial launch was, if you look at the current customers who are going into a dispensary today and you line them all up, and you find the median person, their dosage is probably 10 milligrams, right? Somewhere between five and 10 is what they're consuming on an an average basis. Um, But then if you take those people and you multiply them by how much money they spend, the average milligram dosage is closer to 50, which is really wild to think about. But there are a certain segment of consumers, probably 5 to 10%, who aggressively control the market today because they go to the dispensary every week. And they spend between $150 and $200 buying edibles. And the reason for that is that they're medical customers. They're customers who use cannabis on a daily basis for, to live their everyday life in terms of functional usage. And five milligrams is not going to speak to them. And neither is 10. And so our bag of 20 milligram pita chips required them to consume every single chip and from just a functionality perspective i'm not trying to have a meal all the time right and so we needed a way to respond to that feedback and find a new option that both served our initial ethos of customers who were kind of curious and looking for a microdose option but also serve those high dose customers who are looking for a more functional high but are looking to consume somewhere between 50 and 100 milligrams easily and in a cost-efficient way so we relaunched about a year and a half ago, taking our two-inch round and making it into a one-inch hexagon and switching from an olive oil to a vegan butter and butter base to make the cracker way more snackable, way flakier, um, and easier to consume multiple if you were looking for a higher dosage. Um, and the market feedback has been excellent. So we have definitely seen multiples of sales on those new products, and in that transition, From a 20 milligram package to a hundred milligram box, we were able to deliver more consistent product experience. We were in market essentially with one can of soda and everyone else had a (laughs) six-pack. And so we needed to come out with that product. And I think it's been really exciting to see that feedback. As I spoke about at the beginning, a lot of these early entrants, a lot of these large companies, they don't have the luxury of being able to pivot because. They're in 500 stores, they've spent $30 million and they've convinced a group of investors that this is the product. So to come back to them and say, hey, I need to make a big change is going to be really hard. Whereas for me, I'm working with a small group of partners. I'm able to make that pivot on an ongoing basis. And that's what's really exciting about the evolution of our snack products. And I think where we've come today is that we're not kidding ourselves. No one's going into the dispensary today and being like, where are your cheeses? So we need to actually prove that thesis, both to ourselves and to the dispensary. We're not just here to spend some investor money.
1: No, that's really great insight. And obviously just a testament to, I think everybody wants to be a big brand, but the shackles that come with being a big brand, not to discredit growth. I think we all want to have a profitable, successful company that's here for infinity, But just recognizing the infancy of the industry still and trying to navigate who your target customer is and what they want. I mean, you sharing that journey about your brand makes me think of, I went to Seattle. This would have been five or six years ago, but I remember they had, it was almost like dried fruit. And I thought, oh my God, this is great. I don't want sugar if I'm consuming a ton. And I think their product though was similar maybe to your original where it was like the whole bag was 20 milligrams or 10 milligrams. So you could eat the whole bag of dried fruit and have that snack. And so it just, it, it was exciting, but it also threw my brain for a loop because I think yeah. I'm such a traditionalist where it's, I don't know why it's 100 milligrams, but 100 milligrams is the limit and that's all we can do. And so that must turn into 10, that must turn into five. And as long as it adds up to 100, we're good. And when people started doing interesting packaging, or even talking about beverages, I've seen now the introduction of massive amounts of microdose beverages I can understand as a non drinker you want to supplement something where I can have a sesh, I can socialize. But then I also know the consumers and I know the brands where there's 100 milligrams in one bottle of lemonade. And I'm like, oh my God, who's going to drink just a little tablespoon sip of it to get the 10 milligrams? Like you said, I'm that traditional 10 milligram-esque range consumer. And I'm just like, my brain can't understand this, but obviously kudos to you using your background and understanding of both finances. And it sounds like leveraging like just the data of how consumers operate married with the traditional world of CPG to kind of forecast, Hey, it's not here yet, but people like snacks and they like savory and surely it can't just be this. And so maybe we can talk a little bit about your observations and what are some of the trends? I mean, you talked about some of these things already like adaptogenics and things like that. Savory snacks also being a huge category now. I mean, since you've launched, I'm sure you've seen it in California. I see all over my social media, other savory snacks. I'm seeing people come out with sauces. I'm seeing just this whole range of olive oils infused with THC that you can substitute when you're baking, but looking at what's going to stick and where the market is going to settle out. Like it's really fun to think of and no shade to anybody making sauces and things like that. But it's again, it's hard for me to understand because one, I live in Texas, so my view of a traditional dispensary is skewed, and so I'm like, I only speak chocolate and gummies and <laughs> soda language and some pre rolls. But when I go to these other states, and obviously just by nature doing the podcast and being social in the industry, I'm like, oh, that's interesting, but that's fun. Is it going to stick? And so, I'd love to just learn with your background coming from traditional CPG, maybe some of the things that you saw some of these brands that you work with try because it was trendy to do versus. Like I think savory makes sense. Savory is not a trend. It's an initial trend, but it's like people like savory snacks. Like they're sold in the grocery stores, like you said. People are not pursuing candy, but they're pursuing savory. But maybe where some of that influence is coming from, as well as some of the forecasting of what is the vision? Like maybe what's you know next for Tempo. I know you guys recently did relaunch. So I have a lot of your products in front of me. There's a lot of really great exciting. flavors. It's very exciting. I got to sample some last night and they're very tasty and very effective, but that's a lot of skews. That's a lot of flavors. I also just want to understand like, what was the influence from CPG into some of your products as well as just guiding some of the trends beyond savory. What has been influencing you that's guiding you? Do you find that you pull mostly from CPG? Obviously, you have to pay attention to what's happening in the cannabis space. So you're looking at your peers, you're looking at what's happening in the marketplace. But I struggle as an individual where you want to put the blinders up because you want to build your brand. And so I know we're going to get into, because I want to talk about your marketing and this like slow growth and just like how you're doing things organically. But I think if you have the blinders up exclusively and you're not paying attention to what the market is doing or what other industries are doing, you're setting yourself up for, I don't want to say failure, but just like maybe not being at the right place at the right time. So obviously you were the right place at the right time coming out with savory. Now everybody's doing savory. So Hopefully that made sense just to get a pulse from you of like where you came from, what you're aspiring to, what's influencing you and what's like feeding into the future of Tempo. Hey, To Be Blunt fam, it's Shada here and I want to give a shout out to my own brand of premium cannabis products, Restart CBD. As a daily user myself, I can personally attest to the effectiveness of our cannabis tinctures, topicals, edibles, and specifically our hemp-derived Delta 9 THC offerings. Whether I'm dealing with stress, body aches, or just need a boost in focus, Restart has a product and cannabinoid that can make me feel better. And our customers have been loving Restart too. Here are some actual quotes from our fans. Juice said, customer service alone deserves a five star. Always super generous when we come here. Also very professional and knowledgeable. Why, thank you very much. We take those five stars and we raise you a high five. And then Laura said, this is the absolute best dispensary I've ever been to. It's run by three sisters who are all equally knowledgeable about every product they sell. Ah, uh, Laura, thank you for seeing us. We really are out here acting like a sponge, just trying to soak up all the information. So if you're looking for quality cannabis products from CBD to Delta 8, and yes, even Delta 9, we got you. Head to restartcbd.com. By the way, we ship nationwide. All our products are federally legal and hemp derived. So use the code 2BTOBE at checkout to get $5 off your first order on me. Our team is dedicated to providing you with the best cannabis products on the market and we're proud to be sponsors of To Be Blunt. Thanks for supporting my brand and my podcast and let's all restart our day with Restart CBD.
0: I think it's really interesting you note the fruit-like dried fruit options or some of these other sauce options or other savory options which have come out and i think you're right like we're all looking around hey what's going to actually sit on the shelf for a while and i think you know from a very traditional cpg background if you're looking at products in any sort of retail space every retailer is going to be asking you to make sure that whatever products you're delivering are sold within at the very least 60 days and so there's an inventory turnover challenge that i think is not something that a lot of cannabis brands have focused on initially because they you know let's say you're looking at a vaporizer or even a gummy both the expiration date and the expectation of turnover is a lot less right and the opportunity for you to have that vaporizer sit on their shelf for six months is there with a savory product you really have to prove that out right and so we've taken a really aggressive cost-effective approach So in market, all of our products are less than $15 for a 100 milligram package, which is very price competitive against everything else in the market in terms of edible products. And our reason there is that we need to really convert customers to go try that out, right? Try a totally new product. And we've taken a very aggressive approach with the way that we are both marketing our new flavors and the way that we've seen the consumer market change, right? So A lot of cannabis consumers today, especially those that are coming into the dispensary every two weeks, every other week, are looking for something new constantly, right? They're saying, hey, I tried that out, but that was an incredibly delicious strain, made me feel like this. Now I want to feel like that. And that flavor chasing trend has definitely been a big driver for us. And so as we expanded our lineup of different flavors, the goal was to make sure that every single time a a Tembo customer comes back in. They have the option of going back to their favorite flavor, but also maybe just adding on a second one. And you see this in snacks as well, right? The constant innovation around new flavor testing, new different form factors and designs. I'm like a crazy snack fanatic. So I'm always buying the Lay's Poppables or the Cheez-It Grooves or the crazy little combos between different snack products because it brings me back and it's new and exciting and inventive. And I think if you look at a traditional snack company, the percentage of their budget that they're spending on innovation is really high because they have an expectation that is what's going to bring people back to you on an ongoing basis. It's not just, hey, I want to buy my Doritos nacho cheese. It's I'm going to buy that. And then also, wow, did you see the barbecue? And go try that out in terms of those different products. And there's you know a goal there in terms of both making sure that the flavor selection has a lot of newness to it, but also that the price point is low enough that you are comfortable choosing two different options and are able to consume them at that rate. Um, So we've been really aggressive in market with buy one, get one, and coming up for Pride, we're actually doing a six pack for Pride and we're finalizing our price right now, but it's gonna be a very aggressive price point with the expectation that people can buy the whole flavor pack as you have right now, (laughs) which is very exciting. But I think also, sort of zooming out from that in terms of our just like go to market strategy on pricing and our current product assortment, um, we did look around and make sure that we were understanding what pack products have already been developed and why did they succeed? Why did they fail? Where did they struggle and where were they challenged? And because of the fact that the median consumer is 10 milligrams, but the average dosage consumer in terms of purchase is 50. Dosability is a really critical element of an edible product. You hear the stories of the mom like shaving the chocolate before individuals really trying to get that really small dosage or the dosage they need, and it's because a lot of the products on market don't have that dosability. And the real people who have succeeded thus far are able to consistently dose their product, consistently provide a per unit dosage, and that's really been our big differentiator and was our ethos from the beginning. Every single cracker is the exact same dosage, and that's really critical to us so that individuals are able to find their tempo, find the perfect dosage for them, and products, whether it's popcorn or chips or Cheetos or even sauce, um, those that have succeeded in all those categories have a very consistent unit dosage or are able to deliver a consistent dosage overall, right? Consistently, when I bring some of our competitors, let's say a 100 milligram bag, into a group of people for a sesh. And I say, hey, does anyone want to try this product? They say, what's the dosage? And I say, oh, the bag's a hundred. And they say, how much of the bag have you already eaten? And I'm like, I had a little bit. And then they go, so then how much am I supposed to have? And then you flip it over and you go, okay. It says 13 pieces. And you get that confusing conversation internally and maybe you've already had a joint. You don't know exactly you know, where you're supposed to dose to. And so for a customer and for a consumer who's looking for a really consistent experience, you need to be able to deliver that dosage consistency. And I think that's the thing that has really differentiated us against other products and where we continue to push towards. And why we actually have such a range of SKUs is because we also have three different effects and three different dosage profiles for each of our different products. So that we're able to come to market with those individually.
1: No, very like true science. It makes sense again, using the data. It's really remarkable though, just like getting to hear you think through some of these things, because again, it's one thing like looking from the outside in, but it's another thing like being in the driver's seat and kind of making some of those decisions in real time and then having to pivot in real time. And so I guess you did answer like, that was kind of like where I was coming from. It's like, I'm observing these brands that are just putting X amount of product in a bag and there's no communication. And I, I'm like, wasn't that so? 2016, 2017. How don't we really like matured since then? And it's no, people are still doing that. And I know that there's a customer out there for that. But I think, in fact, I'm writing a post right now. I just moved my podcast to Substack, and so I'm trying to get into writing as well. I recently stopped smoking cannabis, so I've been extra on this journey of edibles and dosing and just this weekend overdosed myself with my sister we both ate half of a 10 milligram gummy but it hit me a little harder and I basically slept all of Sunday so it's one of those things like I'm an expert I'm a like ongoing consumer but there's still so much variability in as you know, as well, product to product. And the post I'm writing right now is getting into all these different extraction methods or the source of the cannabis, or is it a ratioed product? And all these things can affect the overall outcome of someone's experience with the product. And so maybe going into a little bit of your going to market strategy, specifically from a marketing perspective of, how easy is it? How difficult is it to put your product in front of a new consumer? I mean, I've certainly had fair shares of conversations. Brand X is I can only sell through the dispensary. So I have to do dispensary pop-ups or I'm buying shelf space. Um, so I understand those, but maybe you can go a little bit deeper of just like helping us understand when you're approaching these dispensaries, It being savory, I mean, we were obviously talking about it with sauces and these other kind of like rogue categories, but I think another one just to put out there is like frozen items someone pitched me a frozen item the other day. And I was like, I don't have freezer space. So like, where would I put that? So there's change that I welcome in the industry. But also I think sometimes the industry itself doesn't know where to put it or where to shelve it. And so I'm just curious when you're trying to navigate those conversations with dispensaries, was it like, oh, hell yeah, we don't have this. Like, of course, let's go ahead and put something savory. Where then customers like, oh, hell yeah, this is different. It's not a traditional chocolate bar. Let me do something savory. Or is it still a, slow burn for people. Cause I, I use myself as the example, absolutely. I'm the person to go to, to the dispensary and I'm like, I want what's new. I want to see what's new. I want to see what brands catch my attention. I'm also like very visual. So your packaging is just really stunning to me because I'm like, Oh, that looks cool. And I can agree having options for people to find one they like and lead them into the next product or the next flavor profile. But Finding a customer is a little bit like finding a needle in a haystack to some extent when you're trying to build loyalty. So making one purchase, I think, is maybe not easy, but it's easier. Again, you've got the packaging. It's something new. It's different. People are like, oh, I will try that once. What do you do to get them back? You obviously talked about bundling products, but specifically talking about getting into the dispensary in the first place, getting in front of these consumers, having that conversation, kind of disrupting the traditional chocolate, gummy, cookie narrative to say, ta-da, here's Tempo, and this is why you need this product in your life?
0: Yeah, 100%, great, great questions. And I think our pitch is really easy. I've done it a million times. (laughs) So we definitely do the dispensary pop-up model with all of our different retailers. We also perform actually extremely well online. So some of our best retailers, Nug Club, Flower Co., Ease, um, and even some of our retailers that perform extremely well are very online heavy. Um, And the reason for that is that we have a lot more opportunity to market to the customer and actually teach them something. You're doing a dispensary pop-up and someone comes in, they're probably trying to leave in the next 15 minutes. So spending two, even three minutes talking to you, you don't have a lot of time. And so our pitch is very clear and simple. Hey, have you tried edible snacks before? They almost every single time say no. And you can quickly and easily say, that's so exciting. This is our first time ever launching an individually ghost savory snack product. We make edible crackers, Circuit Cheese It, they're five milligrams per cracker. Um, and in their head, they immediately go, Per cracker, that's wild. And we're providing non medicated samples so they can try that flavor. But in terms of delivering brand loyalty, our goal is really not just to do that one time, but to select a group of retailers who are passionate about the snack category and are willing to work with us on developing loyal customers in their store. So that means a dispensary pop-up every two weeks. That means product giveaways and swag bags. So we've actually made a t-shirt for every different color of our different flavors. And if you've seen, I actually do know you saw on the bottom of each box, there's a motivational quote, which is on the back of each t-shirt. And it continues to deliver that story for the customer and allow them to dig a little bit deeper into the story of Tempo. So there's an educational element to it. And I think for people who really want to become brand loyalists, what they're looking for is more than just, oh, I like this product, but the ability to explore and understand what is the larger narrative of the product and how can I connect to that? And so the way that we really bring that to life in the package design itself and It allows us to always have a new thing to show them, a new thing for them to discover and understand is, one, we do motivational quotes on the bottom of each of our packages, which is a part of our ethos overall. Cannabis is a really motivational part of everyone's life and definitely a great opportunity for people to find the motivation they need. Uh, Whether life is rushing past you and you need to find a way to speed up or the opposite, no one is catching up to you and you feel like everything is not catching up to you. You need to find your tempo find the groove and so each of our packages have that quote on the bottom but the second element and i think the opportunity that i really enjoy in all of our dispensary pop-ups is that educational moment of having customers understand that an edible experience is almost exclusively driven by how the product is actually formulated where is the tt being bonded to what are the product formulations what are the ingredients and how does that actually impact your body so We're a fat-based edible. Half of our products are made with vegan butter and vegan Parmesan. The other half are made with full-fat butter and Parmesan and Romano. Um, But as a result, your body metabolizes the THC differently than a sugar-based edible. And so a sugar-based edible, you're going to get that spike of sugar as you get the sugar rush. And at the same time, you'll also get a spike of THC, right? So for many customers, if if they haven't eaten anything that day, that can be a very overwhelming experience. People like to see say they feel a little smacked, right? And been there, done (laughs) that. Like that was me this weekend, is what I'm hearing. Yes, (laughs) exactly. And so, for a fat-based edible, your body actually metabolizes a THC over a longer period of time, and is able to metabolize the THC more effectively. So the experience can be more well-rounded, more potent. But your initial come-up experience, the initial high that you experience, the onset time will be closer to 30 or 35 minutes in comparison to a gummy that's going to sit between 20 and 25. A gummy will last between two and three hours and a fat-based edible, usually the effects will last between three and three and a half hours, right? And so it's a great educational experience to be able to teach consumers about what they're consuming, how to consume it, when to consume it, right? So consuming after a meal before it will have a very different experience. And so we really want, like to bring that to life and cane ourselves as a resource to customers in terms of understanding how all the other products in the market might interact with them and teach them those elements. And we actually like to bring that to life in the package. So I don't know if you've realized, but if you want to hold up our chili limon or our salt and vinegar, each of our wave patterns is actually different. And I spoke about this sort of linear graph, the upward trajectory that a initial gummy will have each of our different packages has a different wave pattern which is meant to visualize the high that you'll experience right so the high frequency high tempo high potency products have a higher frequency a more aggressive wave pattern all of our THC only products have this upper trajectory in terms of the energy and experience they will have which will definitely be the most potent of our products all of our one-to-ones, the truffle Parmesan wave behind me, has that same high frequency, but it is a more balanced effect. And our Transcend products, which are two milligrams THC and six CBD, have a slower, less wavy experience. Um, and so it's cool to be able to have these different educational elements that are core to our product also live on the package, right? So that people can feel like, "Ooh, I want to collect all these different elements of the brand. Because I don't just believe in the product, but I believe in the brand story that they're telling, which is larger about education within edibles and teaching customers how to have the edible experience they really want to have.
1: No, that's really cool. Again, being a brand person, I definitely noticed and assumed some of that pattern was indicating based on the milligram and the combination of cannabinoids. But it's great to hear it from your perspective because... I think that's what makes a great brand. You don't have to always be explicit to someone, but it's maybe like the subtleties of, oh, I like these colors or, oh, this vibe makes me feel good. And yeah, when I was looking at things yesterday, I flipped the box over and I was like, that is so delightful, all these little messages. And again, it's not that like your product could exist independently of that and be delicious and be excellent and be potent and work effectively. But being able to take the brand and breathe life into it and create a differentiating point for the consumer, for the dispensary. I do want to get to brand, but I want to circle back around just because Again, I've talked about it on the podcast. I actually haven't been to California since before the pandemic. So I don't know personally what the dispensary experience is like there. I don't know what my options are. Is direct to consumer a thing? I mean, you mentioned some of these platforms. So being able to sell online, obviously I think the pandemic shifted things in terms of how brands were able to, delivery is a big thing in California from my understanding. I'm just curious knowing that you're not solely reliant on the dispensary model, but it is a component, right? Because there's people just, they want to go in, they want to touch things. I mean, candidly, I'm not an Instacart shopper. I don't trust the people to pick my produce. So I want to go in and have that physical experience, experiencing my products, talking to the bud tenders, all those things. But online is really interesting because it's one been off hands for cannabis for so long. But it seems like California is opening doors a little bit. And so I would just love to learn more, maybe broadly speaking, some specific splits. Are you seeing that Mm -hmm. online is picking up more than dispensary? I mean, in my world, because I'm hemp-based, aside, this conversation came up yesterday. Someone was like, I love your brand. You're in North Austin. I'm in South Austin. And I would love if you could be sold into this person's dispensary. And I'm like, for me, I like being direct to consumer. I want to control the experience that a consumer has. I have that luxury because I'm hemp and I don't have to be sold wholesale through someone else's business. But it's something I'm very mindful of as Texas market opens up knowing that's the traditional cannabis, you know, regulatory model. It's like, you got to be sold here and these parameters and this, that, and the other. So it just sounds like California is opening things up. I'm just really curious kind of what, what that looks like these days, like how accessible is it? Can brands be a little bit more direct to consumer? What your kind of direct to consumer approach is knowing that you have some levers, social media, maybe being a component of it. Just how are you getting in front of the consumer and educating them through some of these platforms that maybe were not as accessible a couple of years ago?
0: yeah it's a great question definitely so in the california cannabis market delivery is definitely a big player there's a whole host of different delivery companies and i think especially for customers who are curious or who don't feel comfortable going into the dispensary delivery is a great option for them because they don't want to run into their kids fifth kid grade teacher at the dispensary and They're so like, oh, no. it's a, exactly right and so shopping discreetly online is definitely a great option for them Today, in terms of direct-to-consumer options, there are a few D2C D- providers, but on a general basis, unless you have a retail license yourself or a delivery license like for a business, the few different license options, you can actually facilitate the delivery yourself. And so consumers and uh, who are shopping from D2C, it is a D2C experience, and the D2C experience has been skinned and provided and curated by the brand partner. It's not being facilitated by the brand. And so that end delivery experience will always be more expensive because you're sharing both your product margin and sharing that end cost with a delivery provider who's likely already a traditional delivery provider in the market who has a segment of their business where they skin their website and update it to your own operation. Just in terms of financial efficiency, it's a really challenging execution to make sure that it is effective, that you're pushing customers to that website and that you're moving through that inventory fast enough. Because at the end of the day, the benefit of a larger retailer is that someone might walk into that retailer to buy something else and then discover your product and buy it. Whereas the D2C option, you are forced to capture and retain every single one of those customers. And so it's a big marketing expense to make sure that you're pushing towards D2C. So I think what we've really done in terms of online retailers is make sure that our product is really discoverable in terms of SEO optimization, we just redesigned our website and linked it to our Map stage, linked it to all of our external retailers. And it allows us to serve as a jumping off point to find a place that you can purchase Tempo Crackers. But I think more importantly, as we find retail partners, our goal is not to just find someone who is, yeah, I'll pick it up, I'll put it in, I'll see if it works. It's someone who's actually really dedicated to telling this story looking for snacks as something that could grow their business and also as an opportunity to educate customers. And so long-term, we are looking for opportunities with existing retailers to build out that shelf space, find the cubby in the dispensary that has this wave pattern, that has the branding elements that allow each of those bud tenders to tell the story. But I probably also spend a significant portion of my week um, also educating bud tenders directly, right? So there's a lot of good sort of technology programs and different platforms where you can educate bud tenders directly, create rewards for them as they answer questions about their product and learn about it, whether that be product sample or direct rewards in terms of cash. They can get bud tenders actually bought into your story and learning the different sale points that will allow them to educate the customer in the right way. As it exists today, we are in something like 50 retailers. Very exciting. We just made it to the 5.0s. And each of those retailers, it's really critical that we are consistently educating the bud tenders so that they know how to sell and talk about our products. Because you're right, you're handing over your baby to someone else and saying, please <laughs> make sure that you're presenting this right for the end customer. The last thing that we've done, and we don't do this frequently, but I think it's a really helpful opportunity is that we actually do secret shopping. So we'll send individuals to our active retailers just to see how bud tenders are pitching the product. Hey, do you have savory? If they don't mention Tempo immediately, I'm asking why, you know, it's the only savory product in your dispensary. And so it's definitely a great way for us to also just understand like, how is it being presented in the market?
1: No, that's a really great point. Cause obviously there is so much that's out of your hands, out of your control. And it's, it's one of those things. And I feel like I could just keep going with you. Let's go down the rabbit hole. Let's keep discussing this because <laughs> I mean, you obviously started the conversation to teeing up a little bit. Nobody's really profitable on this. And so to spend so much money to get in front of people, to have these conversations where you really don't own a lot of that customer data to be able to again, keep marketing to them. You're like hoping somebody engages with you on social media and like starts following you and sends you a message or tags you in your products or tags your products and photos and posts and things like that. And so it's a very admirable, like, Industry, I think, for us to be navigating, and I say us because yes, I'm in it, but also very much separated because I don't have that pain point yet. Maybe ever we'll see what happens in Texas. I'm like, I think we're <laughs> the true old west and going to be the last state that legalizes. But it's it's just like you you're doing what the best you can with the tools you have, knowing that the tools are not firing on all cylinders yet. And so it's okay. Let's like make sense of this because even I was talking to somebody a while ago, and they're like. bud tender turnover so it's like you're spending all this money and time investing into the bud tenders and then a week goes by and that whole team might have changed and so it's just constantly having to chase your tail so you must be really obviously passionate about what you're building and i know we're almost at time but i do want to wrap up discussing your branding you have a finance background you have a cpg background do you have a marketing background? Was like branding your product something that you woke up and you're like, aha, we're going to use actual tempos and cadences of wavelengths and make that our packaging and like picking colors and picking fonts. I just want to get that a little quick pulse for me, just because I really do love your branding. I think it stands out just as a brand in the space in general, but especially helping disrupt and lead in the savory category. And we just love to learn how you got to this presentation of your beautiful tempo
0: yeah thank you so much i do love the branding it's like my favorite part of the whole experience for sure in terms of developing the product while i do have a economic finance background i am definitely the economics finance guy who's obsessed with the graph in terms of the visual appeal and explaining and understanding how i can bring financial expertise to others through using different methods and using different types of presentation So you won't find me, you will find me in the spreadsheet. You won't find me really presenting that in terms of what is my end result. Really passionate about making sure that all of that information is ingestible. But I actually really do have a little bit of an art background. So, you know, in high school I was an AP art. I've done sculpture, design, 3D, all those different pieces. In college I took multiple art classes. I love to paint, I love to draw. So it's really a big passion of mine in terms of just artistic expression. I painted a mural in my kitchen of clouds. I really go deep in that direction. I think it's important to have balance, right? But you know, those very technical, scientific elements of your life, but also the creative expression of it. It's funny to talk about Tempo and say, hey, do you just squiggle something and figure it out? And a little bit, yes. So I think ultimately, we talked about Tempo, the brand overall, as an opportunity for us to think about finding that pace that's right for you. I have a very busy life. I think we all do. I think COVID gave us a great example of how a temporal shift in your life can absolutely change your perspective on what's happening. And I think it's really important that people find that motivational element of checking things off their list and working through their day, finding whatever that groove is that can make them feel like their day is great. And so ultimately, tempo overall was that perspective. And I wanted to find a way to visualize that in terms of the experience itself. So a lot of the wave pattern comes from the visualization of that linear graph of the THC in your body, which is the finance bracket and coming to life. Um, but also some of it in reality, I actually have this like really hysterical photo I sent to our brand designer. I like sketched three wave patterns in three colors on an airplane and sent it to him and was like, this is what I mean. They need to have different frequencies, but the same amplitude. <laughs> and it's a very wild sort of thing to run through. But I think it's very cool to take those scientific elements of their, your life and then bring them to a creative perspective. And all of my sort of artistic approaches have taken that same style, which is very technique driven, whether it's using the same brushstroke thousands of times to produce a texture, or I love to knit for example, which is very technique driven, but ultimately you can produce something really beautiful out of something that's very mundane in terms of production. And so our branding took that same approach. We obviously wanted to also represent a lot of the inclusivity in the brand in terms of our rainbow colorway and all the different patterns and really bringing the brand to life um, and breathing life into it as you spoke to. But a lot of it has really been a collaboration between my sort of approach of all the different elements of the brand and how do we bring that to life visually. I'll give a lot of credit to our designer who designed the package in collaboration with me, His name is Anthony Arbizo, Ant Noir Design, who does clothing design and everything else. And he was really able to bring it to life in terms of our vision. Um, and so I've been really thankful that we were able to bring this to life. But it was really critical to me and it definitely took a while for us to get to where we are today.
1: Yeah, it's cool to like just hear you talk through it because again, with your analytical background, but also your very creative background and kind of like the balance of that. And especially seeing for the listeners, I can see the tempo-esque behind you, like visually. And it's just making me think of a very, again, good marketing to me is when it's subtly done. I don't know if anybody's ever really thought of, huh, what's actually going on inside my body when I consume THC. And so you've done a very beautiful abstract representation of, how you're feeling through colors and waves and a very sensory experience. So I just want to give kudos there, but final kind of thoughts. I like to end the episodes on a positive trajectory. What's next for you specifically? What's next for tempo? What's something that's exciting you? What's something that you're focusing on? It can be short. It can be long. Just want to give you that opportunity to think forwardly.
0: Yeah, we're always looking forward one of the things we just announced, we just closed an additional round of funding with our manufacturer and partner, Punch Extracts and Edibles, really passionate about them as a partner. And I think one of the things we're really excited about with them, they're known throughout the California and now Oklahoma cannabis community as a really strong rosin provider. That's one of their best products. Today, all of our products are made with distillate and CBD isolate, but we are very interested in launching a rosin line with those specific effects. specific rosin profiles, lending ourselves and shaping ourselves after the success of the product lost farm by Kiva. And I think that's definitely something that going forward, we're very interested in, but also as a multi-state manufacturer, we're also very interested in potential expansion into additional states. So I know you're in Texas, my name was an oven, but we're definitely interested and have really started to package all of our manufacturing procedures and get ourselves ready for expansion into additional states now that the product has really hit our stride in terms of the final formulation that we're really excited about. So um, yeah, both new flavor design and excited about a potential Rosaline line. And then also that multi-state expansion is on the roadmap.
1: That wraps up another fantastic episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. And I hope you've enjoyed the enlightening discussions and insights we've shared today. But the conversation doesn't end here. I invite you to join my vibrant community of cannabis enthusiasts, experts, and advocates. So what can you do to stay connected and get involved? First, make sure you subscribe to To Be Blunt on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed our show, I would truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review it. Your feedback helps the podcast grow and reach more listeners like you. Next, head over to our website, www2 where you'll find a wealth of resources, exclusive content, and our show archives. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest cannabis news and events. Lastly, I would love to hear your thoughts, questions, and episode suggestions. Connect with me and the show on social media. Find us on Instagram at tobebluntpod and at The Shaded theshadedtorabi. Let's keep the conversation going and work together to dispel myths, break stigmas, and celebrate the incredible world of cannabis. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, stay curious, stay informed, and stay blunt.